0: I'm going to be talking about uh, two parables today, but I uh, just want to talk about the last two weeks. While Jill and Mark were moving, uh, we watched two uh, vineyard uh, recordings from previous conferences. Now, they were both talks that I referenced in my last, uh, last time I spoke here. So I thought they were ones that I knew quite well, but it was especially last week I was, I was shocked how much uh, I'd forgotten about Archie Coates' message. Um, And it just uh, reminded me that it's important to, if if God speaks to you uh, through some sort of message, can I encourage you to listen to it again? Because there's a whole load of stuff that you can get from it if you meditate on it, if you listen to it again and again. So I, I listened to Archie again last week, and I thought, oh yes, oh yeah. So, do that. It will help you, please. So, I'm going to look at two parables today. They follow on uh, one from another in the book of Luke. So, the first one is the persistent widow and the second one is the Pharisee and the tax collector. So, let's have a look at the parable of the persistent widow. Um, So, I'll read out, this is it from the... Uh, New Living Translation. So one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God and I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. So then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant them justice quickly. So let's uh, look at God's character first. Whereas the content of most of the parables explain what God is like and what his kingdom is like, this parable is teaching us what God is not like. The unjust judge only answers this widow's pleas just to shut her up so he can get back to his selfish, quiet life. That's certainly not how God behaves. It's not the God I believe in, the God that I know. Jesus is saying that even if this selfish guy will bow down to somebody who's persistent, how much more do you think God will listen to you? Always remember that God is a giver. He loves to give you things. The judge was a taker, but that's not God. I've forgotten. I think when I put the yeah, when oh, I have got it there, but I haven't got it on my notes here. The, the last bit of the phrase it says, uh, "When the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith?" It's a challenge for you here. How many, how many of us will have faith when the Lord returns? So, does this parable teach us that if we keep badgering God about something in prayer, then he'll back down, that he'll, he'll eventually give it to us? My quick answer to that question would be, occasionally, but not always. Not usually. There's a story in the Bible about King Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good, righteous king. He loved God and he served God, but as he got older, he got ill and a prophet was sent by God to him with a message that he was going to die. He wasn't happy about this and he pleaded with God not to die. So then, God sent the prophet back to him uh, with the message that he could have another 15 years. Now, the only thing that we know that he did during those extra 15 years is that he invited the king of, of Babylon to his, to his palace. And he not only invited him to the palace, he showed him into the treasure house. He showed off all his wealth. He boasted what he got. And he thought, this guy lives miles away, he's no problem to me. But it was a problem. God warned him before he died that because he'd boasted to the Babylonians that it would bring trouble onto the Israel, to Israel. And it wasn't that many years before the Babylonians came back to seize all the treasure that Hezekiah showed off to them. So be careful what you pray for. Sometimes Occasionally, God does give you give in to your persistent prayers, but it's not for your own good. So be careful what you pray for. There are people today who could be classed as prosperity gospel preachers. They'll say that if you have enough faith, then God will bless you with health and wealth. I do believe in elements of this, but I think often it goes a bit too far. I'm afraid that often this just purely appeals to our selfish desires. I want to read James 4 to you. It says, Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what, you would give, what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realise that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So do you just go to God for your begging list, for the things that you want from him, things that he can do? God is much more interested in your relationship with him than he is in giving you things, but he is a generous giver. He does want to answer your prayers. He wants to hear your prayers and he'll answer your prayers. But as somebody who's been praying for a while, I've learnt that just because you pray about something doesn't mean that you'll always get it. It's not a guarantee. C.S. Lewis uh, described God as not, he said, God is not tame. He doesn't always work in the ways that our logical minds think he will. God often has a much bigger plan than the one that our finite minds can work out. We must always keep this in mind when we pray. God does answer every prayer, but I've heard it described that he answers prayers in three ways. Sometimes he will answer yes and he'll give you your prayer. Other times he says not yet. The timing isn't always best for us. God will often won't give us something immediately because he wants us to trust him for it. Any parent should realise that always giving your children what they're asking for isn't good for them. They'll soon become entitled. They lack any gratitude. In the West where we've got plenty, it's an instant world. We expect things to come straight away. So most of us lack patience. Most of us lack gratitude, so beware, be patient and learn to trust God. The last way that God answers prayers is by saying no. God thinks no, that wouldn't be the best thing for you or it wouldn't be the best thing for those around you. Sometimes he will say no, I have a bigger plan for you that your little mind hasn't worked out yet. It can be very hard when you get a no. But but just remember, it's in your best interests. God is not a genie who gives us everything that we command. That would just make us a mini-God and Him our servant. The amount of faith that you have does not guarantee that you'll get everything that you pray for. Jesus did tell his disciples, ask anything in my name and God will grant it. But he was not saying that using the phrase in Jesus' name at the end of your prayers is a guarantee or a magic formula for getting them answered in the way that you want. If you read the context of what Jesus was saying to the disciples, he was saying, You must first seek God and to seek his heart. Then you can ask things that you know he would, would want to answer. So praying. Lord, please help me to win the lottery, in Jesus' name, won't work. God will answer no, usually. I don't know anyone that's won it by praying. God, I think God will usually say, I love you too much. And do you know what? I would not like to win the lottery. Because uh, even if I could handle the money, what about my friends and family around me? If, I've, if I suddenly have millions of pounds, then I'm gonna have a huge queue of people coming to me saying, can I have this, can I have that? So I, I don't really like money. I find it frustrating and I don't like to, to work with it. I would hate having to make all those huge financial decisions about where the money should go for the rest of my life. So you can have your lottery money. I don't want it. Even though I could do a lot of good with it, It has the great potential to destroy my relationships with you, my friends and family. Money doesn't often buy happiness. It doesn't buy the happiness that you think it will bring. So now let's look at persistence. This parable definitely is talking about uh, us being persistent. It encourages us to be persistent. Earlier this year, I found out something that my dad had said about me. My dad died at the beginning of the pandemic thankfully he didn't die covid he died peacefully in his bed my sister told me that a few years before she'd she'd asked him what one word would you use to describe our andy and apparently he he thought for quite a while and then he suddenly said determined now she'd expected him to say something like patient um, so it came as a surprise but she could understand what he said I've had a lot of painful experiences I've got a there's a picture that's this is what you happens when you run into Tesco's I, I ran into Tesco's into the glass door and bounced off the door and then hit the concrete floor afterwards so I'm using this illustration because you can imagine my pain in that picture I've had lots of other experiences That I can't illustrate that was my own silly fault (laughs) in a hurry Um, but what was well it could have been my fault we don't know rheumatoid arthritis is something that I had for seven years it's an illness that you usually don't get over I didn't give into it and I didn't give up hope that God would heal me I prayed for years and years and nothing particularly happened I did have times, of uh, despair, when God seemed distant. The arthritis, there's a technical term for it, that it, 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 it uh, comes on everyone in slightly different ways, but mine would come and go, and there is a, there's some technical name for it that my consultants told me that I've forgotten about. It was pretty grim at times, and it was very painful and very scary. If, if you want to know more, ask Ray or Karen, ask Sarah. They saw some of the misery that I was going through. Um, initially, I was off work for three and a hun- three and a half months. I couldn't walk properly. And then later on, I had another period of, mo- of a month off work. I had to struggle into work on the train, uh, Struggling to walk and my work colleagues used to make jokes about me uh, They used to joke about me walking like a cowboy or like a zombie. It was just harmless banter. I used to laugh with them It wasn't I didn't uh, I wasn't hurt by it. It's just uh, Laughing through the problems. I, I used to walk weirdly, you know, rain and Karen and Sarah Sue will have seen me walking oddly um, So as I said the the pain, the arthritis came and went and I had a couple of days in the worst spell where I woke up and my hands were in so much agony that I couldn't even dress myself. My son Sam had to help me to dress. I couldn't do buttons, I couldn't, it it was horrible. Sorry, can you imagine the fear Uh, for not being able to walk and not being able to do things with my hands. You see, I'm a craftsman, I need my hands for my work. Um, I had seven years of torment on and off and one kind friend told me, don't waste your time in the hope that you're going to get better because you're stuck with this for life. Thankfully, I didn't listen to him and I did carry on praying. Eventually, I was uh, clearly led, I've got a little booklet in here, two people miles away from each other uh, said to me, try this booklet, it's called, God's Creative Power for Healing. Now it's a a bit weird, but it it encourages you to speak out. You you tell your body to get better. I spoke specifically to my immune system, specifically to my joints. Um, to all sorts of things, telling them to work properly, that I was God's child and he didn't want this. And I did this at least once a day for a long time and nothing happened immediately. But then suddenly I got a phone call from the the hospital saying that the latest blood test I'd had showed that I didn't have uh, many white blood cells, that my immune system was hardly there. They said, if you get a, a temperature or a fever, then please come into A&E, uh, because I didn't have an immune system. All the drugs that they were giving me uh, attacked my immune system, so they had to take me off all of them. And um, eventually, when I got a little bit of an immune system, they allowed me to go back onto one drug. Now, that drug is an is a intelligent drug, most of the drugs I give you through arthritis just bombard your body and they make you tired. Um, one of them blocks your DNA from reproducing. Um, but that's, it's the only way that they've got of dealing with arthritis. The one that I do have, uh, it's an intelligent drug that targets a protein that uh, people with arthritis have too much of. So, I eventually went back onto that drug. Now, that drug I'm supposed to inject twice a week. Now, I am now in the habit of injecting once a month. And very often it gets to five or six weeks and I suddenly think, oh, I haven't injected because I haven't got any pain. Um, And so I forget that I should take it. So it's, I don't really know whether I need to take this drug but I reckon that uh, it's a controlled drug. You have to have months and months uh, trying to apply to go onto it because it costs CNHS lots of money. And so it would probably take me about a year to get back into the system. So because I'm on so little of it, then um, I just inject myself. I don't like injecting, but that's another story. You just get on with it and don't, don't think about it. God helps me to do it. So I've been symptom-free for about 10 years now. I had arthritis for seven. I've been free of it for 10 years now, which is longer than I had it. And my consultant doesn't understand what's happened. Uh, She said, clearly you had rheumatoid arthritis, but it's not active now. She calls me her peculiar patient. (laughs) I think other people have got other names for me. But uh, she calls me the peculiar patient because my body doesn't behave like any other. she's got no other patient that has so little uh, medication and has got no symptoms. So so thank you wonderful NHS and thank you God. Um, So this is just a personal testimony of how God helped me to persevere through trouble. The Bible's full of encouragements to persevere, to be persistent, to endure, to be determined, not give in. God will help you if you partner with Him. Got a few verses about persisting here. This is Romans 4. Thank you, Anne, when the computer decides to work. <laughs> um, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Don't worry about it. There's another reading now, this is James one. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Romans eight twenty eight is an often quoted verse. It's used to encourage us. This is what we usually get, which is, for we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. But if you read the following verse, it tells you why God allows the suffering to come our way. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So, what it's saying is that the difficult situation brings a chance for you to use it to enable you to become more Christlike. There's a guy that you can find his talks on YouTube called Graham Cook. He puts a positive spin on trouble, he calls it an upgrade opportunity. It's an opportunity to become more Christlike. So God often uses trouble and pain to grab our attention and then he uses it to allow our faith to grow. The trouble in itself is not good, it's rotten to the core, but God redeems it and he makes us more like his son if we allow him to. So be persistent, persevere, endure in the knowledge that God is with you. God loves you and he's got your best interests at heart, so trust him. So now let's look at the parable that follows on, which is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Hey, wonderful, thank you Anne. (laughs) Right, so this again is the New Living Translation. Then Jesus told this story to some who'd got great confidence in their own righteousness and scored everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray, one was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you God that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance And he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this second parable teaches us uh, how we should approach God in prayer. We've got two guys praying. The first one is somebody who's outwardly uh, righteous. He's doing all the re- right religious practices, and which should make him right with God. But the problem is that doing all those uh, religious practices uh, is and self-discipline has made him pr- proud of himself about what he's doing. That's what religion can do. The second guy, on the other hand, is outwardly unrighteous. But this guy is very aware of his own faults. He's repentant of it. And his humility is what makes his prayer the one that God hears. I read James 4 earlier on, and I'll read the last bit and then continue on a little bit further says, you adulterers, don't you realise that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate. That the spirit that he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives us great generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you do have, what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. We must always be aware of our faults when we approach God, what the Bible calls sin. Our selfish pride is the thing which separates us from God. When we insist on being our own master, being our own mini God, it's my life and I'll live it the way that I want. This is what separates us from the holy God. God cannot allow selfish sin into his holy presence or he'd cease to be what he is, holy. It's not God being picky or un- uncompromising. It's just an impossibility for him to allow sin into his presence. Now, if you do the next one, please, Anne. Hopefully, this will appear on the screen. Mark thought this was a blank blank uh, slide. Oh! <laughs> just, just when you want it, the computer. Oh, there we go. So what can you see on the screen? A dot. Okay, so you didn't think about all the holiness around, it was spoilt by that one dot. That's God can't allow sin into his presence otherwise he ceases to be holy. So humility is a characteristic characteristic that we should all have to develop. We should recognise our own frailty and limitations, putting others needs before our own We should follow Jesus' servant leadership style. Philippians 2 says, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born of a human, as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honour and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on an earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Humility, therefore, is something that we should all aim for. But this this humility and this self-loathing, they're not the same thing. I've struggled with low self-esteem problems through my life, which stem from early childhood experiences. I've had an extremely low opinion of myself, which has led me to perfectionism. But this is not how God intended me to live my life, and it's not humility. Humility is just a balanced view of our own inadequacy, whereas low self-esteem is self-destructive, and it's not a godly way of living. God's been trying to help me through this bad self-image, and I've been having counselling for it. God will heal me of my bad self-esteem, as I remember to trust in Him, Because in him, I'm secure, I'm accepted, and I'm significant. There's another slide now, please. There we go. The world around you will tell you that performance and accomplishments equal significance. That status and recognition equal security. That appearance and admiration will, will give you acceptance. But it's a lie. We must get our significance, security and acceptance from God. Not from each other, not from ourselves. That's uh, found in uh, the Freedom in Christ course. That's where I learned that from. What you must remember is that God thinks that you're wonderful. He thinks that I'm wonderful. He knows every fault I've got. He knows every wart I've got. I haven't got any, but I've got other thoughts. Um, and he still loves me. I'm God's favourite. You are God's favourite. We need to find a healthy balance of self-examination that doesn't turn in on itself. Because destructive self, low self-esteem is ultimately selfish. It's concentrating on me. Whereas what we should really be considering is what does God think about me? That's the most and only important rescission, uh, uh, thing really. Humility is healthy self-examination. You look into the face of God, you recognise your faults, he, he recognises them, but, he, but you find acceptance and love when you go to God. You realise that you don't deserve it, but you have God's love anyway. God is love. Love is something that only works if it's given away. It's communal and God is communal. He created man to be communal, not selfish. So look for ways to share God's love. Wherever you are, whoever you're with, that's the Jesus way. Remember our church statement, encountering God, encountering people. Receive God's love for you and then share it with everyone that you have contact with. We need to do things daily which connect us with God, things that will remind us of his love and his presence with us. What works for me may not work for you. You have to find the best things that work for you. Uh, I think it was 2018, I felt God uh, tell me to make this cross. I made this cross and every night I take it off and I put it on my bedside table, because in the morning, then I have to make the conscious choice to put it back on again. Who am I going to serve today? Am I going to look after my own interests or am I going to submit to God? That's just something that that helps me. Um, When I was really close to God in that same period, my best friend Adrian told me to start a spiritual journal. This is a notebook with uh, all sorts of things that I've written in Um, I won't tell you Adi's exact words but he, he told me, he said you must write down the things that God is telling you at the moment because when you've got a time where life is hard then you've got things to look up. You'll have ammunition to fire back at Satan. I love music. I love singing. And so another thing that I've done because I'm created, i I only discovered uh, a few years ago that I could write songs. So what I do is I put uh, Bible verses to music. Um, I've got no delusions about my musical ability. It's quite naive, but God loves it, and I find it, inc- I find it helpful. I'm, I'm most happy when it's just me singing with God, because I hate performing. It just brings out the shyness in me. Uh, I know that God enjoys my songs and I'm reminding myself constantly of Bible truths. So even when I've had low times, I'll carry on singing, even when I don't feel like it. Uh, Those that know me would know that I've had depression on and off in the last few years, but I've continued every day to make sure that I read my Bible. I read Bible notes. I read Christian books, and especially I pray. It's best to pray at the start of the day. Uh, Another thing you should do is make sure that you meet with other Christians, even when you don't feel sociable, especially when you don't feel sociable. God, I said, has designed us to be communal, and you will struggle to find uh, your to. Your, your faith will struggle if you're on your own. I want to introduce you now to a friend of my grandchildren. I might get Isaac's attention. This is Boris. <laughs> Boris the bear. He's, he sues, but see, Boris is, is lovely on his own, but he's even better when I help him. You two are wonderful, but if you allow the Holy Spirit in you, then you can be more than you are on your own. There we go, Isaac. (laughs) So, where are we? Nearly finished. You must build your relationship with God every day. You must get to know the sorts of things that uh, connect you to God. You must pray daily. Jesus had to do it every day, so you must do it even more. And when you pray, you must be persistent and you must be humble. And God will help you. So we've got some questions now. Please uh, pray for each other. Make time to pray for each other. Even if you don't answer all the questions, it doesn't matter. But I, I always prepare more than you need. So the first one is, what do you think that you remember most about this talk? Second one is, Can you think of something that you've had to persist in prayer for? Next one is, what daily practices do you have that help you persevere in your faith? And lastly, do you think that you've got a healthy opinion of yourself? Then pray for each other. Pray for things that you've just spoken about or if anyone's got concerns. So please make sure that you pray for each other.